worked with Kane on Monday night. Uh, it was always fun to work with him, big man. I, I don't know if you saw, I got cut open underneath my jaw. I got five stitches, and it happened basically. He just gave me an elbow in the corner, but the elbow didn't even touch me. His shoulder caught me. He's, got, he's such a big shoulder. It's like this bowling ball shoulder hitting me underneath the chin and cutting me open to give me uh, five stitches. And, man, have things ever changed? You know, there's a couple drops of blood on the mat, and suddenly referee Mike Kyoto, he's got his uh, rubber gloves on and they're checking you. Are you okay? Are you okay? And the worst thing that can happen is, and this is something that they have to do by verdict of, of Vince McMahon, that if somebody's bleeding and it can't be stopped or it can't be curtailed, you got to stop the match so that the referee can get in there and uh, stop the bleeding for you using Vaseline or whatever tricks that they have. But talk about killing the flow of your match. And this is a real thing. Like, you have to stop and you're basically doing this wrestling match, this show. And then, you know, something real happens. You get cut open. It's like, okay guys, uh, the show is done because somebody really got hurt. So now we're going to stop everything and get, get you fixed up. And it, it makes everybody mad. I mean, nobody wants to stop in the middle of your match. It, like I said, it kills. If you're telling the story, you got a beginning and middle and the end. And if somebody gets cut open and suddenly you got to stop for five minutes, it's like Wayne's world when car, you know, the car goes by and they got to stop to you let the car go past and they continue their game. That's exactly what it is. It's like, all right, tackle, drop down, leapfrog, body slam, blood. And we're just has to stop and wait for the ref to, to get the doctor in and the doctor comes in and puts the Vaseline on and applies pressure and makes sure that it's not going to continue. And then, you know, okay, game on. And that happened to me once. I worked with Yoshitatsu a few years ago. I'd worked with him in Japan and we had a really good match. And I said, listen, man, I mean, we tore the house down actually. And I said, listen, you uh, need to work that way that you just worked with me in Japan all the time. And lo and behold, we happened to go back and we were working a superstars match, which is what was the other kind of like the main event show at that time. And I said, listen, man, I want to see you work that Japanese style. Don't give me this timid Yoshitatsu stuff. And starting the match, he was super timid and pissed me off. So I slammed him on the ground and I took my knee pad off and I dropped the knee right in the middle of his face and it cut him open. And the doctor came in, and we had to stop the match. And then the doctor gave him stitches or whatever he did right uh, at the scene of the crime. Well, I grabbed a, a folding chair, and I, I put it down in the middle of the ring. And I just sat there with my arms crossed, like, all right, whatever. And I'll tell you what, when that match started again, Yoshitatsu was a different guy. He came in there, and he kicked the shit out of me. And it was great. It was probably uh, one of the better matches he had in the WWE. But I had to cut him open to do it. And you know, is that unprofessional? Uh, kind of, but also I wanted to light a fire under his ass, and I did. The only thing was, you know, that um, we had to wait while the doctor repaired it. And I mean, years ago, you would, you know, you could be cut wide open, you could break your nose, whatever, and they would never stop the match for nothing. If you stopped the match halfway through, it was almost seen as a, as a wimpy thing to do. So we grew up in 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 the time where you do not stop a match no matter what. Those times have changed, and now if you you know have a nosebleed, they'll stop it and get the referee in there. So, <laughs> but I love it. It's the sign of the times. Enjoyed Monday Night Raw with Kane from the intersection of Sunset Boulevard, Bastrop, Minnesota. Moved all over. Maine, event, status, radio with your host, Mr. Beverly Hills. I 
Welcome back to another edition of Main Event Status Radio. I am your host, the Dirty Dog Darcy, and somebody who isn't joining me this week is Mr. Beverly Hills 90210 because I gave him and Mrs. Beverly Hills the weekend off. Since uh, those two are getting married here within the next few weeks, I thought I'll be nice and give them an early wedding present and give Mr. Beverly Hills a weekend off of the podcast. But before I go into what we will be discussing on this week's edition of the podcast, what you heard at the beginning of the episode was from Talk is Jericho this past week, from uh, Wednesday... September 17th, Chris Jericho discussed his experience from Monday Night Raw from the, it would have been the 15th, I suppose, if my math is correct, but his match with Kane from Monday Night Raw where he got busted wide open and the WWE referees stop the match when there's any unplanned blood, well, I guess any blood, in, uh, any blood period because they don't want any more blood on the TV for, uh, cleanliness and everything else that they found out through blood and all that. Uh, the reason why I picked that for intro because, well, one, Mr. Beverly Hills is on vacation this week, so he's unable to uh, do an intro with me. And two, because for this week's edition of the podcast of Mid Event Status Radio, I am having referee James Benson on the podcast, joining us here momentarily. Um, yeah, he is a referee for a couple different independent wrestling promotions here in Minnesota, which we'll be discussing here moments in moments. So, uh, yeah, I wanted to uh, get a wrestler's perspective on a grand scale on his opinions about the referee stoppage on blood. I, uh, as of right now, I don't know if we'll be discussing blood on the independent scene or not, but uh, the reason why I wanted to get James Benson on for this week's edition of the podcast is uh, last weekend I went to a American Wrestling Federation show for my old stomping drums from the high school I graduated from. And, uh, yeah, James Benson was a referee for the whole night. And uh, him and I go back a couple years ago, about three years back, that him him and I used to work together at my cur- at my current job. And, uh, and we struck it up quite quickly because uh, he wore a Stone Cold Steve Austin shirt a few nights at work. And I had to give him crap about that, about being a Stone Cold Steve Austin fan since I'm a huge Chris Jericho fan. And I had to give him crap about Chris Jericho defeating Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock in the same night to become the very first undisputed World Wrestling Federation champion. So we'll be discussing uh, his fandom, uh, where he started from, started as a wrestling fan to where he is today, uh, independent referee here within the state of Minnesota and neighboring states. I know uh, he's refereed many of WWE Legends matches within the Minnesota State area, and I know we'll be talking about that during the interview. So, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy the interview, and uh, we'll be back with the interview right after this. Welcome back, guys. This is the Dirty Dog Darcy on Main Event Status Radio, joined by one of my buddies, James Benson. How's it going, James? Pretty good. How are you doing, Darcy? Oh, can't complain. So, uh, so I heard that you were refereed some last night. 
Yes, I did. I worked five matches for the American Wrestling Federation. Where do you guys uh, wrestle at last night? We were on Turtle Lake, Wisconsin, in the Shineko Event Center. Because I thought I heard that you guys might be finding a permanent home. Is that location your guys' uh, permanent home? Um, relatively. They're considering doing more TV tapings out there. They're, they want to make it a regular destination for their fans. Right now, I think we have shows scheduled out there once a month for the next six to seven months at least. Okay, because I know last weekend at the show I went to in Cambridge that saw you guys be doing a uh, title tournament for the title here soon. Do you guys start the tournament last night? Nope, the tournament is planned for in two weeks, October 4th at the Shineko Event Center in Turtle Lake, Wisconsin. It's going to be a one-night event. Sounds good. Is there any guys who are confirmed for the tournament yet? Uh, confirmed for it as far as I know. Uh, Ryan Cruz, Craven Knight, and Ricky Love. Sounds fun. Uh, especially a couple of guys who hopefully we'll talk about later on in the podcast, but we might also talk about you first. Uh, before we get into your experiences as a referee, what is your history as a wrestling fan? Um, as a wrestling fan, I got into it kind of late. I wasn't one who had a whole lot of access to basic cable, so I didn't really get into the Attitude Era or the Monday Night Wars right away. But my first angle, you could say, that I got into and remember watching was Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio when they had their angle in 2005, ending with the custody Dominic ladder match. Oh, yeah, so um, yeah, I think yeah, that would have been, sadly enough, I think towards the end of Eddie's life, if I remember correctly. Yeah, because that ran, I believe, in the summer of 2005, and he passed away in November of that year. So, yeah, so I know, I know you've mentioned through when we texted a little bit off and on, and I saw on Facebook and Twitter that you've been watching some stuff on the WWE Network. What are some things you've been going back and watching? Well, I've decided that I'm, I'm a big fan of the Monday Night Wars and the Attitude Era as well as many other wrestling fans are. So I decided one day to start watching all the WWE pay-per-views in order beginning in the year 2000 with the Royal Rumble. So I've been slowly working my way through those. Oh, so you haven't started going back from like 85 or anything? No, I haven't. Yeah, the reason why I mentioned that, that a uh, few shows I've watched, actually a few WrestleManias i watched, the first few are kind of hard to get through if you don't if you don't like the slow, methodical wrestling. Yeah, that's just the way the era was, too. I mean, don't get me wrong, I do enjoy watching the older WrestleManias, especially, you know, the classic WrestleMania 3 at the Superdome, or Silverdome, rather. <laughs> Sound like Hogan now. Yeah, I know, brother. So, uh, yeah, m- we might as well kind of get into uh, the meat of the interview. What what got you into the business of professional res- wrestling? Well, like I said, I started watching um, weekly in 2005, and since then, as time passed, I grew as a fan more and more and got more involved with uh, potentially wanting to get into the business. And so, about a year and a half ago, in March, I contacted Tony DiNucci of the American Wrestling Federation, inquiring about training to be a professional wrestler. 
And despite my small stature, I began training, and then that's how I became a referee, is in order, or while I gained the mass to become a wrestler, I just, um, to referee to get that much more knowledge into the business and spend time in front of the crowd and inside the ring. What's your experiences as training to be a wrestler and a referee? Um, as far as the differences go? Yeah, what are the yeah, what are some differences or some fun stories you could share? Oh, as far as differences go, obviously they're quite a bit different because, you know, there are different roles within the the show and and all that. But they're very similar. Like knowing how to wrestle helps out with refereeing because you know you're not in the guy's way and you know how things work and you know what to look out for. You get to know the guys. You get to know what they're going to do or what they would want to attempt to do, anyways. Um, fun stories. Well, I can't really think of anything off the top of my head, but it is a very fun experience and very intriguing one to be a part of. Okay, I know uh, last week in Cambridge you did take a ref bump. Is there any ref bumps that, you, that you've enjoyed taking, or are there some that you landed wrong and you felt for a couple days afterwards? Well, I can't say as a referee that I enjoy taking any ref bumps. There are a couple <laughs> highlights, though, um, you could say. One that was rather interesting was last fall we out in Barrett, Minnesota. I was on a show and took a choke slam from a man named Damien. Damien, for those that you don't who don't know him, he is six foot seven, three hundred pounds. <laughs> but talking about you know your small stature, last one I checked, you're also a few inches taller than me, though. Yeah, I myself am six foot six. I'm very tall for a referee, <laughs> which makes me laugh. Then, yeah, last week and uh, a few of the matches, you were just as tall, if not, a, if not taller than some of the wrestlers you're refereeing. Yes, yeah, so you could only get away with that in the independent circuit. <laughs> uh, there's only one match that I was ever not the one of the taller guys, and so it's very. It's an interesting experience, I'm sure, as a fan to watch. It's definitely different. Yeah, well, while we're on the topic, has any of the wrestler, wrestlers gave you a hard time in the ring or outside the ring for being taller than than both the competitors in that match? Yes. Uh, notably, one time I had worked for um, a company called Steel Domain Wrestling up here in Minnesota, and... This was two shows ago that they did. The main event was Colt Cabana and Adam Pierce. I'm sure many wrestling fans know who they are. Um, I had come into the locker room, and Adam Pierce was there prepping for his match. And I walked back there, and he said, You are the tallest effing referee that I have ever seen. <laughs> that's, <I'm> funny. Like, yeah. <laughs> that, that's funny. Yeah. That's funny. For a guy his caliber, too, it, it was just, it made it that much fun. Funnier just to be like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but yep, I am. Because <laughs> yeah, because most, I guess, I most WWE and TNA referees they're about six foot, aren't they? Give or take. Uh, as as far as I know, yeah, six foot or maybe slightly under. I think the tallest referee that I know of 
at least active right now is Mike Kyoto, and he's billed at six foot one. Okay. I don't know how far off that bill is, but it's you know around six feet. Fair enough. Yeah, because I know, yeah, WWE does like to add a few inches to or a few pounds to their competitors. But yep, and that's true throughout the whole wrestling world. I don't know how much they do for referees. I'm sure they do the same just to keep it all, um, you know, the same. But Makes sense, yeah. I guess I want to prompt you from starting out as a fan to wanting to get into the business. Was it like a match or an angle that you seen that wanted you that made it click in your mind that you wanted to start training to be a wrestler? It wasn't so much one event or one occurrence that did. It was, like I said before, just kind of over time, just did a, you could almost say like a snowball effect that kind of grew and then finally decided, hey, you know, maybe I want to do this because eventually, if you're a fan, you learn, you know, you had more and more of an interest and then when you start learning from the internet about uh, the workings that go on behind it, you're like, hey, this is something that maybe I could actually do and be a part of and then you learn so much more even behind the scenes once you're part of a wrestling company because fans have no idea how much stuff actually goes into these shows and how much work it takes to be a pro wrestler like when they say don't try these things at home these guys are highly trained individuals and things could go very wrong in you know a split second well yeah talking about that uh, for like bumping wise, I know you, I, you know, you mentioned it to me when we were still working together, uh, probably six plus months ago. But what are, you want to talk about the uh, being trained how to bump correctly? On uh, you want can you talk about yeah you know, how Tony and your other trainers teach you on how to fall correctly? Uh, yeah. Um... Or as much as you can. Yeah, it's fine. Like, the idea of falling, like, obviously you don't want to fall awkwardly. You don't want to fall on your head, your neck, your arm, whatever, your shoulder. Um, ideally, when they hit the ground, it's like, you know, naturally you would think you want to hit with your softest spots, which would be your upper back by your shoulder blades. Okay, because so I know... Make sure you're not landing awkwardly, unless you're like Ric Flair, who had the... Uh, well, the back, uh, back injury from the plane accident. Yeah, like, you look, he'll always land, like, off to one side, but that's solely because he had that accident. Yeah, because I know, I know you were giving me a little bit of crap a while back. This probably be about a year ago now when I was washing vans, how I slipped and fell in the concrete and how I fell incorrectly. Was it hard during training to to reteach, to relearn how to fall properly instead of wanting to, like, land on your arm or your elbow or anything? Not so much for me. I think I was a little more of a natural, not to toot my own horn or, any, or anything. But there are a lot of people that have issues with doing that and, make, and getting the timing down so like an arm doesn't hit before it should. Um, the main thing is just to make sure that you're relaxed enough where you're not going to jerk your neck or something when you land. Like that, That's where it could cause serious problems, too. So yeah, we might as well go back to like the question I originally proposed. Uh, I know you you mentioned that Eddie and Ray their storyline got you into 
professional wrestling. As at least that's one of the first angles you remember after yep. their after their match at SummerSlam 2005. Was there anything else that caught that kept you in the business for storyline wise? Um, pretty much anything on SmackDown. Like I said, I didn't have a whole lot of access to basic cable, so I was unable to watch Raw, which. I honestly believe is the better flagship brand for virtually the entire um, life of, well, you you could say Raw and SmackDown since 99 because before that Raw had no competition. But, um, yeah, particularly storyline-wise, I can't think of any because it's... But, yeah, just probably SmackDown as a whole. Like, in the Attitude Era, I didn't have a particular... Uh, guy necessarily that I rooted for, I rooted for the whole roster because the roster was so deep and the roster was, you know, incredible. Like, you look from the top guys, Austin, Rock, Triple H, all the way down to, you know, the bottom mid-card guys. You know, they they were all good. They could all put on a good show. So now, now being a referee, is there anything that you, is there any particular referee Currently, or you know, since you mentioned that you've been watching WWF stuff from 2000 on, is there any referee from back then to today that you've been watching more precisely now as a referee or as somebody who's been trained as a pro wrestler? Oh, well, honestly, as far as ones that I've been watching, I like to watch a lot of Mike Yoda. Um, I feel like. Well, everybody develops their own style naturally. I mean, you don't really emulate a certain individual. Like, that's true with any walk of life. You try and imitate somebody, you're going to put your own things into it. Um, but Kyoto definitely, just the way he does his hand signals where when he dives down to the mat, those types of things. I also like watching guys like Earl Hebner and um, Little Nate, one of your guys. Woo! Um, <laughs> but you know those guys are also pretty mainstays within the history of the company. I've talked to um, Little Nate, and I've talked to uh, a couple other referees via Twitter about when I was first getting into refereeing, just to kind of get helpful tips and see if they have any advice about bettering me as a referee. And then yeah, be also be trained as a wrestler. Is there anything that you've noticed from noticed after being trained to before when you're just a fan when you're watching the product? I guess to reword my question, how what are the differences you've noticed now that you're trained as a wrestler? Or I guess what are the differences that you see on TV when you watch stuff compared to before when you were just a fan? If that makes any sense. It does make sense. I was just thinking how to uh, talk about this. There are quite a few differences, like obviously being a part of the business, you know how things work. and um, Let's just say there are quite a few things. Okay. Um, I'm not going to lie, like if this is going to last WrestleMania 30 with Lesnar and uh, Taker at the, uh, for their finish. I'm not going to lie, as a referee, I did see them sink that pin, uh, pin and I knew that after two, he wasn't going to kick out. Definitely, because I know a lot of people were saying that early in the match that Taker got a concussion and Lesnar yeah. had to carry it and all that, and I know I did hear 
I want uh, crap. I want to say it was uh, one of Stone Cold Steve Austin's podcasts that I think he was interviewing Sean, or well, I think Jim Ross was interviewing Sean Michaels. But either way, either on Jim Ross's podcast or Stone Cold's podcast, it's something like that. It was uh, Vince's called to uh, end the streak four hours before the pay per view. But yeah, that could definitely be true. I mean, Vince all ultimately has the controlling power with with their creative department. Um, uh, but Taker also has a large say in that because he is such a mainstay with the company and Vince um, is such good friends with him on a, per- a professional rest level where he's not going to do anything that uh, Taker doesn't like or Taker doesn't want to do. Fair enough, yep. Then uh, I guess you kind of talked about it a little bit, but what... What was your thought pattern on choosing to be trained with the AWF? I guess, how are there are there any other schools in the Minnesota area that you could have went to besides the AWF to be trained? Uh, yes, there are other schools. There's one notably that I can think of off the top of my head run by Terry Fox. Um, I chose the American Wrestling Federation with Tony because... Well, he was the first one that I knew about. Like, you just type in, you know, professional wrestling in Minnesota or professional wrestling school in Minnesota, and he's one of the first ones to pop up. Um, it's nice working for him being a part of um, his stuff because he also has the show that runs three to four times a month, you know, virtually every weekend where you, you have some place to go as you're being trained and as you're finished being trained, you know, you have some place where you can get TV exposure. Like we run on the CW23 network every Sunday morning. So you do get your exposure in case you do want to go to other places. Hey, you have some, a virtual resume that you could put together. And, uh, I don't, yeah. And what are some, were you trained as a referee? Like you were as a wrestler? A little bit, not nearly as much. Okay. Um, refereeing was more, honestly, I had to figure that out on my own. And that's where watching, you know, guys like Keogh and all the other refs um, and kind of just learning from your own style. Like, obviously, it's, it's something where you either have to have the ability or you don't because that shows how successful you are and how much the guys are going to want to have you in the ring working with them. Are, but no, there wasn't a whole lot of training that wasn't involved with that. Okay, then. So, the, the guys you've been working with in the arena on, on a regular basis or some one-off shows, have the guys talked to you about the match that you've had with them to kind of give you pointers as a referee? Yep, definitely early on um, in my career, I took a lot of, you know, suggestions on what could be made better, especially by guys that have been in the industry for three, four, five plus years. Like, I've worked with guys that have been in there 20, 25. But I definitely took, I still definitely still do take a lot of advice from anybody that I possibly can. And after every match, I ask both guys, you know, how everything went and if everything went all right, whatever. And they ask me the same thing. Like, they know that I've been around long enough, too, where. I know, you know, a good match from a bad match, and I can give them pointers on their thing, too. 
And you, I know you mentioned a good match in a, from a bad match. I know uh, the main event from the Cambridge show last week and featured Big Set versus Ricky Love. And I was like the early part of the match, I was the first part, yeah, first part of the match, they ran around the school of gym a little bit before they actually got in the ring and started grappling. What's your thoughts yep. on matches like that compared to like the first match between Craven Knight and Ryan Cruz, how they kept everything in, in the ring? Oh, that's... They're kind of building an angle right now between Ricky Love and Big Step Sepio Saunders. Um, I honestly kind of like, especially with them, when they were in the main event, like you had mentioned, and it kind of gets the crowd a little hotter. Like, you know that as a fan, hey, the guys are coming near you, you're going to get excited. And so if they're brawling out and doing all this cheap stuff before the match actually starts, you know that, you know, it's it's amping the crowd up and it's getting them more excited for the match. Yeah, they actually did a lot more of this yesterday, too. They had brawled out for three or four minutes, probably, before they actually started the match. Yeah, because I really did enjoy Ricky Love's uh, gimmick and all that, because I know there's a few times he would turn around and I think there was a gal sitting, well, four or five chairs away to my right and how he would kind of do like the Rick Rude uh, hip swivel pose and all that and tell her that you know he'll see her later in the night which popped the crowd out from my section and got my section more into the match with him and Big Sap yeah Ricky Love is definitely a very entertaining individual for those of you don't that don't know him he's a guy out of Iowa um, 22 years old he's a young guy but he has a really nice build he's 6 foot Six foot one, six foot two, somewhere in that ballpark, about two hundred and thirty pounds. Uh, long red hair, so it makes fun, makes good for the ginger aspects of it all. Um, he's a really good worker. He's a really entertaining guy, both as a face and a heel. And overall, he's he's a fun guy to watch. And what's your thoughts and experiences with Big Sup? Uh, Big Step is actually one of the guys that are taller than me, <laughs> going back to our conversation from earlier. Um, he's also another good worker. He's been in the business for a few years now. He runs about six foot seven, I think, uh, 240 pounds. It's just an amazing body. He uh, just definitely a giant in the ring. Like His finisher is the big boot. But I have no problem working with him either. He's a great guy to work with. A lot of these guys are. I know one guy who I always enjoyed going to and watch his matches when I've attended different AWF matches were Craven Knight. What's your thoughts and experiences with refereeing with him? Craven Knight's a, one of my personal favorites to work with. He's an incredible talent to watch. He's you know, a physical specimen, about six feet tall, 230 pounds. Um, very quick, very agile, very strong. He's actually spent some time down in the WWE Performance Center. Um, he really gets the crowd behind him. Just all around great worker. And, you know, just for my uh, co-host, Beverly Hills, what's your thoughts on Ryan Cruz? <laughs> Ryan Cruz is a very entertaining heel. Uh, he does his job very well. 
Um, he really gets the crowd hot. He's just a smaller guy, but he he's one of the mainstays with the company. He's been in the round of the business enough where he knows what he's doing, and that definitely shows with the fans. And uh, just because I have to, or I guess because I'm a big fan of his, what's your thoughts and experiences with Ariel Davari? I probably butchered his first name, <laughs> my bad. Oh, Arya Davari, everybody. He's definitely a mainstay with the company. He's a main eventer. Um, I mean, a lot of people, I'm sure, if you've been watching SmackDown over the years, they remember his brother from the middle 2000s. Um, he's a very good worker. I think he's only 26 or 27 years old, so he's still pretty young yet. Um, just, yeah, just an incredible ring technician. He's a, he's a um, obviously he's not the happiest person in the world a lot, but he pulls off what he does very very well. What's your thoughts on referee and Johnny Parks? Johnny Parks is someone who has been around the industry for a long time. I think he's close to a thirty year veteran by now, both in the Australian circuit and in um, the American circuits. Uh, he's because he's been in the business so long. He knows, obviously, he has an incredible amount of knowledge, and so it's a it's really really nice to learn from him, both as from as a referee standpoint and also as um, a wrestler. He's, I spent some time learning from him, him training me, and so he definitely getting that different angle is definitely a nice experience. I know you mentioned that he's a thirty year veteran. Uh, do you know much about his wrestling history that you could talk about? Um, I honestly do not because he spent a large portion of that 30 years, I think close to the first two-thirds of it in Australia, and I don't really know much about that. Okay. I know he was one of the original members of TNA out of Florida when they first opened their doors. Hmm, interesting. But aside from that, I don't know. Okay, then uh, what's your experiences with Tony DiNucci? Tony's the guy, like we had mentioned him before, He's um, he was the head trainer. I've spent a lot of time working with him. I've refereed his matches. I've talked to him a lot behind the scenes. I've helped him out a little bit with creative as an AWF official. Um, great guy to work with. You know, he's the promoter of the company, so he does a lot of the talking, but that just allows you to listen more and, and to learn from him even more. Learn a lot of, from the business side from him. Then uh, what are some of the companies you work for besides with AWF? Um, right now there's only two other ones, but I'm working on getting um, as, many, as much work as I can, basically all over the upper Midwest. But the two other ones are, well, I mentioned them earlier in this podcast, Steel Domain Wrestling, which is a company out of somewhere in the Twin Cities area. I'm not entirely sure. But they uh, also air on the CW. Um, and then there's another company, Minnesota Extreme Wrestling, run by Kurt Otterholm, who they're a smaller independent show. They do mostly like VFW halls and bars, you know, the smaller classic independent wrestling show. Um, both groups, Steel, uh, Steel Domain and Minnesota Extreme, are great to work with because you will see different guys and 
I mean, they're the same, yet they're different. Like, they'll always bring new guys in. and you, You'd be surprised how many guys there are that come out of the woodwork in the state. Now, I know you mentioned to me before a few times that you worked with ROH a few times, or I said AWF teamed up with ROH when ROH came to Minnesota. What What's your experiences with work with ROH a little bit? Yep, Ring of Honor, since I've been to... I've been in the business about a year and a half now, so I'm still very, very new. Um, Ring of Honor has come to Hopkins, Minnesota at the convention center twice in that time, and we have done, they've used our ring, the AWF ring, and so we've done, obviously we've done ring crew for that, setting up for their show, and that's a fantastic experience to learn from guys who, you know, obviously are above and beyond our level they're the next step up and meeting you know guys like the briscoes jay lethal uh met matt hardy this last year i mean the entire roster just sitting down listening to what they have to say it's it's incredible and they're willing to talk to you for a minute or two and teach you you know give you pointers and it's awesome great experience the Did crowd you- just loves guys when they come in do you talk to uh, Kevin Kelly when ROH was in town the twi- two times? Nope, I don't think Kevin Kelly was actually made the trip with them, so I don't think I saw him at all. Oh, sad. I know Kevin Kelly has his own podcast. I think every other week, and he's a you know yeah the play-by-play man with ROH and was with WWF for a while in the I think mid to late nineties, yep. and I, don't, I guess yeah, it'd just be kind of cool to hear your experiences if you ever do run into them sometime. Oh, yeah, I definitely look forward to getting the opportunity at some point because, like you said, he's been around the block, and he's, you know, I'm sure he has an incredible amount of knowledge as well. Another guy that was fun to talk to was uh, Kevin Steen before, obviously, he went to the WWE, but I witnessed in person his second-to-last match was in Hopkins with ROH. Yeah, I bet that was pretty exciting to see Oh, it definitely was, because it wasn't his final send-off, obviously, but it was, um, you know, one of the last ones. So just the crowd getting behind him and the, the chanting and the and their streamers just flooding the ring, it was pretty incredible to be a part of. Did, uh, I guess, you know, yeah, you've seen Kevin Steen wrestle live, and you know, I guess you know a little bit about what WWE expects in their performers do you think Kevin Steen would make a name for himself in the in the company? I think he could. I think all guys have a chance to. Um I'm sure WWE will kind of repackage him, but he's been a big enough name in ROH where I think he'll stick around in WWE for a while. It's the same way with you know like with Kento that they brought in from Japan. Um I don't think he's gonna go anywhere anytime soon. I don't know if he'll be the same uh guy that he'll be as he was in ROH because he was more of a comedic guy especially beginning in the beginning of his matches and I don't know if that's something that WWE is going to utilize or not but uh, I guess we'll have to just wait and see and find out well because I'm sure Kevin Steele would you know become a household name or I guess more of a household name on a global standpoint you know, got, you know with Cantor just like Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins and CM Punk and Daniel Bryan have, because, you know, a lot of those guys were 
from ROH before they got hired up to WWE. Yep, and I agree with that. I think, you know, anything's possible, especially like you mentioned, guys like Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins who have really come out of the woodwork, especially Ambrose. Like, no one really knew about who he was before he came here. And you look back at his history, and he's done some really crazy stuff in his career. Cause I, I definitely I agree with you. You know, talk about Dean Ambrose, I... One night after work, for me, this probably would be, well, I guess around the time you wake up for your job, about 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, I turned on the network on my phone, and they had a Raw from, I think, 2012, and I can't remember what, I think it was Daniel Bryan versus, I think somebody, well, I think for, I guess Kane and Shields outside the ring, and, you know, in the Shield, Dean Ambrose had his hair slicked back. And at first, when I first saw him, like, who the hell is that guy? And how he looks extremely different now with his hair all shaggy, like, compared to when he was with the Shield. Yeah, and that's the thing, too, is guys get, you know, they change characters around a little bit over time. and You know, everybody's constantly changing, and that's no different in professional wrestling. Um you know, the shield really is no more at this point, so the guys, their look is going to get changed a little bit. I guess I was shocked, because I know during the shield, I thought Dean Ambrose probably was the most boring out of the bunch. And now, since they all split and had their own characters, I'm surprised that the guy who I thought was the most boring is the most entertaining out of the three, in my opinion. No, I completely agree with you. I thought the exact same way. I was, you know, a lot of people thought that, you know, Dean Ambrose was the best guy or one of the best guys behind, like, uh, Roman Reigns. And I was against the curve. I was more like you where I was thinking, well, you know, he he wasn't as, what you call animated as the other two guys were. Like, you look especially towards the end of the Shield, how Roman Reigns was becoming a bigger guy and, you look, and he still has become a bigger guy up until his uh, injury a few days ago. But, you know, it, it's incredible what they've done with Ambrose and even Seth Rollins, like, you know, making him the guy that he has been recently in the storylines. Like, you never would have thought that as part of the Shield. You know, yeah. a guy 210 pounds from, you know. But great for them, you know. No, yeah, creative. They really did well with it. Oh, definitely, because I can see all three being operated card, if not mid-event stars, in the next five to ten years, and being WWE champion at least once in the next, you know, within the next ten years. And if you would have asked me that year and a half, two years ago when they debuted, I would have scratched my head and say, "I, I really can't see that." No, I agree, and that's partially too, like. Uh, when they started out as a group, like, you listen to guys, like, I think Shawn Michaels has said this before, where a group of guys will never be as big as one individual. And granted, you could argue that with, like, the NWO or DX, but in real, you know, in reality, it's typically the case. Um, I agree with the statement for the most part. I don't know... If I mean, Seth Rollins, I understand that he holds the briefcase right now, but I don't really see him being, you know, a super multi-world champion. I could see that with Ambrose or with Reigns, just because Reigns is a bit more of a powerhouse. But I suppose, like, you know, like I said, you never know. I mean, 
you never know which direction the company is going to take and how things are going to work out. So uh, we may also go back to uh, talk about your career in the business. What is the what is the what is the day like of a show for an independent referee? I guess what are some of the things you can talk about that you had to do as a referee on a typical show? Well, um, first off, I I'm still on ring crew. I still set up the sh- first shows and tear them down. Being relatively new to the business yet. And that's just a whole part of what we call paying your dues. Um, but typically, we'll get to the show location in the ballpark of 3 o'clock, if the bell time is 7. And so, um, you know, wherever that show may be, whether it's, you know, a half hour down the road or it's four hours, we'll get there about 3. And so, um, get there, we'll set up. Doors will open about 6 if the show's at 7. We'll, like I said, we'll set up and then about 6 o'clock if everything's done then I'll go into the back you know, change into the referee gear and then we'll talk to the guys we'll prepare for all the matches make sure everything's all the final touches are set up with everybody from the ring crew down to the tech guys make sure everything's going with that you know, we'll go through the show, we'll have the intermission where the, inter- or where the uh, autographs are signed do the second half of the show, and then um, change back, and we'll do the ring crew, we'll tear down, and we'll head out. We'll usually get done with everything about midnight. Do you have any future aspirations in the business? Um, yeah, I do. Like, I'm still young, and I'm still hungry. As I mentioned before, I have a taller referee, so I don't know how far into the business that I'll get with that. I would like to go further even if it's just on the independent circuit, but I feel like if I could, getting into ROH would be an incredible experience. But as far as I could get, it would be fantastic. As a wrestler, I don't know if that's something that I'll ever do. I would like to, but at the same time, like I said, I'm 6'6", and I'm 185 pounds. That's something that doesn't necessarily work. You know, I need to gain a fair amount of mass, but... Um, I have high aspirations. I really do. And hopefully uh, things will work out in the future. Well, yeah, I know you mentioned that you worked with ROH a few times when they came in and into Hopkins and, and all that, how you helped set up the ring and all that. Hopefully, you know, it would be cool even if you were, if ROH would use you in the times when they come to Minnesota as a referee or something like that. Or like you said, you talk to the guys with ROH for advice. At least that's helping you out on implementing that to move up to the next town. Yep, definitely. I suppose possibly when they come in here the next time, I'll uh, inquire about working on their show as a referee beforehand, but i have to wait and see how that goes because I think they're planning on coming back here the first part of 2015. We kind of talked about this a little bit, but what are... What referees do you watch for tips? Um, basically anybody. Like I said, I've been watching a lot back a lot of the pay-per-views from the early 2000s at this point. Like right now, I've been watching King of Ring 01. But I'll watch, you know, like the early Kyoto days, and you'll watch, like, Nick Patrick. You'll watch uh, Earl Hebner, which I'm not a huge fan of his style, but he's also somebody who is very, very respected in the business, so... 
you know, you don't get that way for nothing. Yeah. And so talking to him, like I said, talking to little Nate, talked to um, Jimmy Corderas quite a bit on uh, Twitter, actually, learning from him. I don't really discriminate. I'll watch all those guys because you know they're up at that indus- they're up at that point in the industry for a reason. And so, uh, on the independent shows, do you talk to the other referees who's been around for years to kind of get their input on what you could improve on? Oh yeah, because typically they'll be watching the matches too when they're not working in them themselves. So if they are, then I'll get uh, tips from them. I, I did that even more so when I was when I first began in the business, but even still now, like I'll work with guys that have been roughing for twenty years, and so I can ask them, "Hey, you know, how was that? Is there anything that I should work on or change or whatever else?" What has been your biggest "I'm not in Kansas anymore" moment? As in a moment where you're suddenly aware of your surroundings, or even a "Oh crap, how how did I get here?" moment. In a positive or negative light? <laughs> well, I guess positive. Why not? Let's be positive. Yeah. All right. Um, there were a couple moments, especially like last summer. Like obviously, all the going back even further. You know, like the first time, like I ran on a TV episode, and then he's you know you get on TV and you're kind of like that whole you're marking out for yourself almost. <laughs> but um. I, like I said, I had a couple moments this summer I'd refereed a couple of very large names in this industry. Um, Hardcore Holly and uh, the Hockey Talk Man. And so those were a couple really, really exciting experiences. Like we were just crowd in Fargo. Um, three or four hundred people, not a huge crowd, but it was, you know, being in the ring with Hardcore Holly and then being able to raise his hand. Like I understand that it's you know, as a fan, as a mark, you know, that's something I shouldn't necessarily be doing, but that was a really cool experience to be a part of, you know, working with the guys of that caliber. And learning from Hockey Talk, man, like you talked about earlier, you know, getting tips and pointers from guys. Hockey Talk actually helped me out quite a bit, get, talking to me about refereeing and, you know, giving me tips on it. Uh, yeah, I guess you kind of answered my next question, but I know you said you met Hockey Talk, man, you met... Hardcore Holly met Kevin Steen. I guess, yeah. You know, was there any other wrestlers that you idolized while watching that you're, you've been able to meet? And have they been, have they gave you any, any pointers on how, uh, how to advance your career as a referee and or as a professional wrestler? Um, there's a couple other guys that I've met that I didn't really necessarily get to talk to enough to get pointers from. Uh, but like I had mentioned before, like, Watching, watching what I did, you know, Matt Hardy was a mainstay with uh, WWE SmackDown at the time, and so when I was able to meet him on ROH, that was a really cool experience. Also, on that Fargo show was also a uh, hacksaw Jim Duggan, and just meeting with him and just talking to him for a short time was also the experience because you know he's somebody that's been around in the business for what thirty plus years. And obviously, WWE Hall of Famer, legend. That was pretty incredible as well. And do you have any fun or funny stories from your time in the business? Um, 
I suppose, yeah, like just being on the road with the guys, you know, there's little like inside stories and inside jokes that I don't really want to get into, but you know, it's definitely a good time. Then, uh, I know we kind of talked about this before we started recording, but have you got around to watching or have you watched SummerSlam yet from a couple, couple weeks ago? I actually have not, no. Okay, uh, have you been following the Lesnar Cena storyline at all? A little bit, yeah. I know, yeah, when we're recording this, you'll probably drop probably later tonight before the pay-per-view, but what's your thoughts on the whole Cena-Lesnar storyline and Cena being squashed at SummerSlam to Lesnar? I don't know. I'm just, I'm not a huge fan of what they've been doing with Cena. Like, who knows if that's, you know, on Cena's part or if that's on the creative part, but it just seems like they don't really know what they're doing with it. Like I heard, like I think it was, what was it on Raw where they had uh, the Cena versus Lesnar match, if I'm not mistaken, and that that was you know the main event for tonight. It's like why would you have the match on Raw when you're going to have it on the pay per view? Um, as far as the squash, I suppose that was just to make Cena a little bit more of a of a baby face and have Lesnar look that much more dominant. Would be my guess. Um, other than that, I don't really know why they would do that. I suppose they'll have Cena win the title again tonight, but I, you never know. Maybe they'll keep Lesnar up on his dominance run. Uh, I guess. Uh, hell to sell. I guess one uh, last question: uh, Is there any guys you would like to meet on the independent scene before? I guess before they officially hit it out. Um. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really pay attention a whole lot to the independent scene, but there were guys that, you know, that I was able to meet briefly before they they headed on. Uh, like uh, Chad Gable in NXT came from the American Wrestling Federation. So, like, him I got to work with a little bit prior to him going there. Any fun uh, stories or experiences with him that you could share? No, because I didn't really know him all that well like I met him early on when I first started in the in the company as a ring crew guy but I wasn't on shows or anything so I didn't really have much of an opportunity to do much besides small talk and shake his hand okay well uh, I guess we might as well wrap up the interview for today do you have any plugs or anything you'd like to uh plug um yeah sure I mean if you're interested in uh the American Wrestling Federation uh, just go to uh, WWE or <laughs> com, or uh, like them on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, Facebook is um, ProAWF Wrestling and Twitter is ProAWF. You can find me on the Benson Referees page on Facebook or at James Benson AWF on Twitter. Okay, uh, thanks for your time, James, and can you hold on a second? And everybody, I'll be back right after this. And we're back from the interview that I had with James Benson, independent referee in the state of Minnesota and elsewhere with such companies as American Wrestling Federation, the AWF, which you can find on YouTube if you search out AWF American 
Wrestling Federation. I know uh, they usually put their Sunday Shockwaves shows up on YouTube. I think within a week or so after it airs here in Minnesota on the CW Network, Channel 23, and all that good stuff. So, hope you guys enjoyed the interview. I surely did. For, I'll plug uh, James Benson's Twitter account again. It's at James Benson AWF. You know, J-A-M-E-S-B-E-N-S-O-N-A-W-F. That's at James Benson A-W-F on the Twitter. And uh, also, yeah, for, many, for the Many Events Status Radio podcast, you can find us out on Facebook. That's facebook.com backslash Many Events Status Radio. That's facebook.com backslash Main Event Status Radio. All one word. On the Twitter, you can find us for Mr. Beverly Hills, who's on vacation this week, at Beverly Hills MES. That's at Beverly Hills MES. And for me, the Dirty Dog, it's Dirty Dog MES, dog as in T-A-W-G, at Dirty Dog MES. You can also hear us on our website, maineventstatus.com. That's maineventstatus.com. Also, you can hear us on iTunes. Search us out on iTunes at iTunes, or go on the website. No, go to load up iTunes, do your thing on the screen. Go to, you know, go to the homepage, go up to the little right-hand bar, Bob. search Main Event Status Radio. Obviously, different words over there. Uh, podcasts are usually up within moments after being uploaded to the website, maineventstatus.com. And, yeah, and search us out, talk to us on those four different places, Facebook, Twitter, our website, and iTunes. You know, if you're not listening to us on iTunes, please uh, rate and review the shows for we can move up on the charts and become number one someday with Art of Wrestling, with Colt Cabana, and the Steve Austin Show, and Talk is Jericho, and all that. So, yeah, I want to thank you guys for hanging out with James and I for last hour or so or however long this podcast is and yeah thank you guys for checking out made event status radio every week and uh for mr beverly hills and for the dirty dog i want to thank you guys for listening we much appreciated and we'll talk to you guys after the matches